Welcome to the Life Care Services Health Services Division podcast series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, and I'm joined by my colleague, Blake Gilman. Welcome, Blake. Thanks, Laura. So today, Blake and I are going to do um, a high-level review for you on the final rule, and uh, we're going to share with you some of the information we have and know that moving forward, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into each one of the um, topics in the form of a series of webinars, series of podcasts, additional trainings. So today, we just want to let you know what's going on with the final rule. So what we know, Blake, is that we know there's four large buckets, um, and we can touch on those today. We've got the market basket increase. We've got the finalization of the skilled nursing facility value-based purchasing program. We've got some updates on the skilled nursing facility quality reporting program. And then finally, uh, the elephant in the room, as I'm going to call it, is the PDPM or the patient-driven payment model. So let's go ahead and start with the market basket increase. And Blake, can you talk to that and how that's going to affect us um, just in a few short weeks? Sure. Thanks, Laura. Every year, CMS re-indexes the market basket, which is essentially an indicator of what's happening in our sector. When they take a look at each of the MSA codes around the country, they, they start averaging in some, in some cities or states where um, the cost of labor is extremely high, other parts of the country is, is extremely low, the economies of each of those markets are fluctuating all the time. And so CMS gets information from the OMB, which is the Office of Management and Budget at the federal level, and they make a determination on how much of an increase, or in some years, a decrease, um, would be deployed for Medicare providers in the SNF arena. So this year, um, we're happy to announce there is an increase. It's 2.4%, um, which is uh, a little bit unusual. The last few years, it's been less than 2%. So we're pretty excited about that 2.4% increase, which will be made available for reimbursements of patient days starting October 1st of this year, 2018. So good. That's great. So we're seeing that increase of 2.4%. So let's go into um, skilled nursing facility value-based purchasing and then talk about that 2.4% and what may be at risk with that um, through the finalization of the value-based purchasing. So just a little bit little bit of background. What we know is that the Skilled Nursing Facility Value-Based Purchasing Program is a 30-day, all-cause, all-condition, unplanned hospital readmission. Um, it's risk-adjusted. It is only for Medicare Part A fee-for-service. And eventually, these measures are going to be, well, not eventually, starting um, in October, they're going to be posted on Nursing Home Compare. So really what 
what that looks like is the way that it works is um, CMS is going to calculate your rehospitalization rate using something called the readmission measure or the SNF-RM. And they're going to calculate a score based on the achievement rate or the improvement rate, whichever score is higher. And then they're going to rank all the SNFs based on that score. And from there, the each individual skilled nursing facility's rank will be linked to their payment for a full fiscal year. And that fiscal year is um, October 1, 2018, until September 30th, 2019. So all providers are going to see a reduction, a 2% reduction in their Part A rates, but what they're also going to see then is based on the ranking, some providers will see an increase over that 2% and some will see a decrease and some will stay with, they'll keep that 2%. So, so briefly, Blake, then how's, how's that going to affect if someone, if someone gets a, let's say they're going to get a 2% decrease, but they got their market basket increase. So how's that going to work for them? Yeah, so it's a little bit slippery, Laura, as we've been talking over the last week or so about this. Um, and, and what makes it slippery is CMS has said that they're using the um, readmission rates for all cause, um, supposedly using admission rates for um, exclusion of non-preventable, but we know we know they're just looking at the the readmission rates for all um, all cause, and it's very difficult for them to distinguish between whether it was a necessary um, readmission or not. And so the, the challenge here for communities is to take a look and see, you know, where where they stand with that. And we're, um, we'll go into it a little bit later, Laura, possibly with some of the technology that we're deploying. But essentially what's going to happen is you could get the 2.4% market basket increase. You then, based on the value-based purchasing adjustment, you could get a 2% decrease in your payment, um, ultimately landing you at a 0.4% increase for fiscal year 2018. Or you could land someplace between the, the, the 0.4 and you, if, you, if you're really good, you ultimately could end up with a significant improvement in the 2.4. And so these, these adjustments are going to compile against each other and become a really interesting math problem. So um, 2.4 is coming in, up to 2% is going out, um, or you could land someplace in between when you combine the two. Yeah, it's a it's a really um, sticky math problem, like you said. And, you know, one of the things that the final rule did do was that it outlined um, that for the next two years, at least, we're going to be stuck with that 30 day all cause, all condition, unplanned readmission. What what they didn't commit to, um, but but we're hoping they will soon, is that in year three, starting with the um, impact, the financial impact, hopefully in 2021, keeping my fingers crossed, maybe they'll move it up to even 2020, that it would be 
it would no longer be a a 30-day all-cause, all-condition, it would become what they're calling a potentially preventable 30-day um, readmission, which I think is much more doable for providers to understand and get their arms around. Um, the other thing that we learned is that this program is going to continue for 10 years. So we are in the first year, and unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about the penalties or the incentives that are that are being sanctioned as of October 1 of this year because the baseline was calendar year 2015 and the performance year that it was compared to was calendar year 2017. So for for next year's financial impact, we still have a little bit of time because our baseline year is going to be 2016 and our performance year that we're going to be compared to is 2018. So in essence, we have what, you know, less than five months here to um, really catch up on those 30-day unplanned or 30-day all-cause, all-condition unplanned readmissions. So um, I think the other thing to note, Blake, is that the uh, the SNF VBP annual performance score reports are out. They came out, they were published on um, August 2nd and 3rd. And so all of the providers have those. Uh, very shortly, we're going to be doing a webinar and really digging into those reports and how to read those reports and how to read the scoring. We've also created a calculator that's very easy. You just pop your score in and you'll know immediately what your incentive or your penalty is for your Part A fee-for-service um, revenue as we start on October 1st. So, but so I, think it's, I, I think it's important, Laura, just to interject real quickly, that communities take action now to potentially influence their 2018 score for readmissions. Um, I was looking at some of the statistics this morning, and um, CMS has set a 16.4% threshold in the final rule, um, at least for the first year. And we, we um, have approximately 20% of our communities who are over that 16.4%. So there is an opportunity yet this year with the remaining months that we have to be actively engaged in managing those discharges to the hospital by putting into place a, a, a solid partnership with home health agencies to help you manage that 30-day return. Um, we're looking at some technology strategies around um, can we get some physician support in, in some of those off hours, typically nights and weekends where uh, people are discharged back because physicians don't want to come into the community and visit a resident. They tend to just say, send them out, which doesn't help much. So, um, Laura, I think those are some of the things they can do now. I agree. And, you know, that's a really important benchmark, that 16.4. So you want to be below that 16.4, but you don't want to be above 20.4. I mean, those kind of the range that they outlined. And, and just when we think we'll have that down each year, each performance year, those rates go down further. So um, next year, the the in year two, the performance measure is sixteen point three 
um, between 16.3 and 19.8. So those numbers are just going to keep getting tougher as we go through, uh, which which talks to the seriousness of the focus of the federal government on uh, hospital readmissions, un- unplanned, unnecessary admissions. So, and then if we didn't have enough in terms of that uh, that potential penalty, we've got the skilled nursing facility quality reporting program that is hitting us um, with the first round of penalties starting October one of this year. Also, so that is based mainly on the uh, on the key quality measures um, and very specific sections of the MDS. So it's it's all about timely reporting on your MDS and accurate reporting. Um, we've been working on Section GG, making sure there are no dashes in Section GG, um, really working on that threshold of making sure that's not over 80%. And as a company, I think we've done really, really well at that. We've got, we've got tools in place like Team TSI dash reports and um, and so far, um, luckily, globally, that's not going to hit our communities too hard. We might have one or two that are going to see an additional 2% um, penalty, which, um, boy, that could be a double hit, get a 2.4% increase, and then possibly get a a 4% decrease total. I mean, that could just be a another whole double hit, you know? Um, but I think we've done a really good job out front and our communities have been done a really good job of paying attention to that one because you just have to do it. If you do it timely, you do it accurately, you're fine. So um, that one's kind of low hanging fruit for us to to get a passing grade on. And I think, I think Laura, that speaks to um, how dedicated our MDS coordinators are in the communities and they've done a nice job. We've we, uh, you know, at least from, from the regulatory side, Laura, you've been pretty noisy in making sure that they they fill out the forms correctly on the MBS and they populate all the all the boxes and questions. Um, that's all about quality reporting, and CMS is very serious about making sure that we're accurately reporting the condition of the resident and. And um, when we get into talking about PDPM, you'll understand why they have shot that warning shot across the bow because it, it lends itself to the change in the reimbursement system. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, um, the other thing that, that we should mention, um, and we won't go into a lot of detail right now, but there are going to be significant changes in um, the MDS. There are changes in Section GG. There's um, Section M, Section, I believe, J, um, and other sections. And uh, we've heard two different dates that the uh, final or, you know, the updates to the RAI manual are coming out. We've heard um, the second week of September. I heard that during a a two-day training with CMS just last week. And then also last week on the um, CMS Open Door Forum, they said the first week of September. So suffice it to say, either the first or second week of September, that RAI manual is going to come out. And there's a lot of changes. Um, And again, those MDS nurses, um, they're going to need to be on top of that. So uh, we also published, um, I published 
just last week the links to the two-day training program that went into all of the changes on the MDS. I, I posted the, the links to CMS where those are listed. CMS has also said they're going to publish the actual videos of each one of the sections of that two-day training that correspond with the handouts. So as soon as that happens, um, I'll be noisy again on that one, Blake, so everybody can can really jump in and uh, get their arms around this before the RAMI manual comes out. I think, I think that's really important. Um, this is a as you mentioned, Laura, this is an extremely short timeline um, with making these changes on the MDS. Not only do they have to update the RAI manual, but all uh, our software vendors for uh, electronic records that produce the, the MDS will have to do the programming changes to match up with the new um, mandate. So it, it's going to be a an interesting experience over the next couple of months to make sure that that gets done because um, uh, you know, this is really an unprecedented t short timeline for a pretty significant change. Yeah, yeah, agree, agree. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room, Blake, <laughs> PDPM. So uh, what, why don't you go ahead and explain um, what we're looking at through PDPM and, uh, and then we can talk a little bit about how it's going to impact care and care delivery. Does that sound good? Yeah, sure. Um, last Monday um, at about 4 p.m. Eastern time, CMS released the final rule that included the items that we've already discussed here. But um, in, in, it really got into detail around a complete overhaul of the skilled nursing facility payment system. For those of you that have been around a while, you remember in 1999, um, I can't believe it's actually been that long, Laura, but um, in 1999, they came out with the PPS system, which um, classified people into the categories that we get paid under now. Um, and that was modified a couple of times along the way um, but essentially has stood the test of time for the past 20 years with a, a big focus primarily on therapy and how therapy interacted with the resident and recording of minutes drove a lot of the reimbursement. In fact, in the final rule, CMS made reference to the fact that over 90% of the rug groups that were paid in that 20-year period were related to therapy. So... Um, with the new payment system coming out um, in October of 2019, which you may find some confusion around because the government refers to that as their fiscal year 2020, um, which actually starts in October of 2019, there will be a complete overhaul again of the payment system, primarily driven around what the patient needs. So the, the acronym PDPM, because we always make up acronyms, Laura, if we, <laughs> if we uh, don't have one readily available, but PDPM means the patient-driven payment model, essentially saying we want to pay you a fair rate for the needs of the patient. Obviously, every patient that comes into our skilled nursing facilities are um, under different conditions and they have different needs and they have comorbidities and they have chronic illnesses and, and are coming to recover from surgeries, etc. So 
under the new payment system, they're going to be collating those needs into the payment structure. So no longer will therapy be the only component um, for the most part that gets paid, but it will be a combination between how therapy performs, nursing performs. There is a, a non-therapy um, add-on. There's also a case mix add-on. Um, that everyone will get. And I, I think it's important to note that um, the, the nursing piece of the new reimbursement system is going to be front and center. In addition to that, Laura, we're going to have to be very good at coding under the ICD-10 coding system to make sure that we've got the codes correct for medical diagnoses, not only for the medical record itself, but for billing. And when we take a look at how we're doing that, we need to make sure that that we're coding those um, claims correctly. So a couple of things that are important, we were joking about this a week or so ago when we first started looking at this rule, is the MDS coordinator is now going to be the most important person in the building. Um, hopefully they'll get moved out of the closet behind dietary into, into a much more... <laughs> robust office, but um, they, they're going to be very significant in making sure that these sections of the MDS get coded correctly and that we can be paid. So um, I'll pause there, Laura, if you want to jump in for some comments. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, I, it, the good news for the MDS nurses is there's only two required assessments, the admission assessment and the discharge assessment. There is an interim payment um, assessment that's optional. And there's some pretty specific criteria in order to um, do that interim payment. But, uh, but, but overall, it's only two. So you know, that correct diagnosis coding upon admission is going to be critical. Um, so, so, you know, one of the things we can do now is start looking at, uh, our whole pre-admission process and our coding. Um, we can really look at how we're handling that now so that we're comfortable with that, that we are capturing the appropriate coding upon admission. And we're going through that pre-admission process. So I think, I think that's one of the things that, uh, that we can do now. Um, the other thing that you talked about, Blake, is nursing is going to be front and center. And that's very, very true, um, which lends to what we've been seeing over the years that we're getting higher acuity uh, um, folks into our health centers. So we're another thing we can do now is we can start to work on the skill set of our nurses so that our nurses have the skill set to, to really um, appropriately treat those folks with higher acuities and get better outcomes. So that's something else. The other thing we can do now is restorative nursing. Um, that, that combination of um, therapy and nursing, then restorative care really, really becomes important in this new payment model. So another thing we can do now is we can really step back, look at our restorative nursing programs, and really start to work on those programs so that we have um, strong restorative nursing programs in place to help our residents and our patients achieve 
their highest practical level and maintain that highest practical level. So I think, you know, from a, uh, from an overall standpoint of, you know, we, we only have a short, what, 13 and a half, 14 months here before PDPM starts. But if we're looking at some basic things that we can do from a care perspective, um, those are three things. The other thing we can do is um, really look at the case management, the overall case management of how we're managing each individual resident and their care. So those are some of the things that that we can start now while while folks are waiting for um, us to put together our training and our tools and our information so that we can help our communities. Those are just a couple things that that they can step back and and reassess and start working on now. I, I think that's a great point, Laura, that the time is is you know right now to, to get everything in place. Um, this isn't going to be one of those regulatory changes that we can wait, um, take a wait and see attitude. We're really going to have to be proactive. And I, to your point, Laura, that Health Service Division um, is actually meeting um, tomorrow to discuss, you know, how do we deploy this out into the communities for them to get a, a clear understanding of what the requirements will be um, and, and what can we provide from a corporate perspective to give them the support they need to be successful? Um, so this this change is, is a big change. It's getting a lot of um, federal press. Uh, we are excited that we're going to be able to do less MDS, as Laura, because <laughs> you mentioned there's only going to be two mandatory and one um, if you need to use it. That's a big decrease from having to do the, the 5, 14, 30, 60, 90-day assessments. And one of the things in the final rule that CMS has been very clear about is they're looking closely at ways that they can reduce the paper burden um, so that people can get back to taking care of people um, as opposed to, you know, nurses and therapists doing paperwork. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and that's really the silver lining on all of this, so... So, Blake, um, I want to thank you today for our discussion. Um, I think it, uh, I hope it's really helpful for our listeners. I'm sure it is. And, uh, and we want to let everybody know to stay tuned because, uh, as Blake said, we are putting our thinking caps on and getting our toolboxes shined so that we are developing and support, developing the tools and, and uh, training and education and guidance necessary for our community. So, so thanks a lot, Blake. Um, it was great talking with you and thank you to our listeners. And we hope you'll join us again at another podcast. Thanks, Laura. Legal Disclaimer. Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast. Mm-hmm.